partisan, the Knight of Rainsborough, the city's greatest hero, is dead. But evildoers continue eternal. Citizens fear they now live in a world without heroes. But heroes emerge from the shadow of a champion's fall to take up their rightful place as the Knights of Rainsboro. Paul is Hair Trigger. Tim is the Coyote. Wayne is the Rambling Ricochet. Andrew is the Necropath. say it's feedback episode one because we're going to do these at the end of each story arc and we just have finished um issue 13 of the first story arc so uh wow who'd have thought we'd ever get there i mean me. <laughs> well considering our first, <laughs> our first arc was supposed to be what six issues six episodes and it lasted 13 <laughs> paul we're going for that decompressed storytelling you got to give the gotta give the story room to grow and we gave it plenty of room to start. That's true. Yes. <laughs> We're trying to beat the next presidential election for the next story arc, but I'm not putting money on us. <laughs> My wife had predicted that we would never start the game after all of the false starts, but she was wrong. And now we finished season one. One of our barriers was, you know, all these different false starts that we had. And, you know, one of the barriers that we had was was just real life, you know, with with work and whatnot. In fact, that. That was something that was ongoing throughout the entire uh, life of the game was work schedules, uh, mostly mine, but, you know, some some for the rest of you guys as well. Yep. So, you know, that that was a that was a, a super big challenge. And I, I think one of the the other challenges that we had was, you know, for our first game, we wanted to have all the players present and uh, Jonathan, who was active throughout the sandboxing episodes, you know, had to move and uh, has really just kind of you know fallen off the edge of the internet, and so you know we had we had uh, uh, that to contend with as well. But through our loss of old Jonathan, we got new Jonathan. That's right. That's right. We did add a new Jonathan. You know, it was a bunch of bunch of different things that that kind of conspired against us early on. But you know, I'm happy to say that we plowed through. The work thing. I mean, it seemed you know trying to get everyone on the mics. I mean, that was like four months worth of trying before it finally happened. Oh, and we were killed by the holidays. We were trying to start around Christmas at one point and around uh, Thanksgiving, and it just never seemed to work out. The planning for this, if I remember right, was 2010. It was like summer 2010. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. We started off in uh, – <clears throat> we were at least recording through August, and I think we had one or two in September. Are you talking we about sandbox get- episodes? Yep. Yeah. And we were ready to go and we were ready to start. And then we didn't start until when did we start? I think we started in I think we actually released episodes in May. Yeah, I think we might have started recording around March cuz I I want to say I started on the show maybe 
February, January, and then I was on for a little while before I actually started doing Knights of Rainsboro. Yeah, it was definitely January when we did the when we recorded our uh, zero episodes, and when we brought you in and did the extra sandboxing for your character. So if you if you take into consideration the the sandboxing, you know it's been about one issue a month. Yeah, which you know honestly yeah. isn't that bad. And you know keep in mind that we we did all our sandboxing right and. Everyone was happy, hunky-dory. Then we started to have – even before we had the scheduling issues, we <laughs> – Aaron and I decided to change the system. <laughs> I want to like, say the, the six most dreaded words on this podcast, on any of the podcasts <laughs> that we do together are, so Paul and I were talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know – Nothing uh, good comes from that. Nothing Paul and I, Paul and I work for the same organization, so we have a lot of opportunity to communicate throughout the day, and no good comes of that. <laughs> yeah. So, so Aaron Shadrach asked, asked the question about why we switched from the old system to the new system. Yeah, and there were there were a couple of different reasons for that. Um, you know, uh, Jonathan had been a, a, a strong proponent of. Uh, going with Savage Worlds to begin with. And I w- was really interested in running it in the DC Heroes, Blood of Heroes system, a system that I, that I really enjoy. Um, but as we got deeper into it, it became really clear that we have developed a, a story-rich environment. And, uh, you know, the conversation started started popping up that, well, you know, maybe, maybe we might want to release a setting book for this. It's real easy to get the uh, the the rights to publish under the Savage Worlds banner. In fact, there's there's no uh, there's no money exchanging hands in that regard. Uh, Savage Worlds has a real open licensing issue, uh, licensing uh, deal. But uh, DC Heroes, Blood of Heroes, is a little bit more murky. So uh, that was one of the conversations we had, and it was a, that was a, a a big little bit of drama that we had, you know, in the. Uh, in the the life of this game, uh, switching that over because uh, it did involve a, a a rather significant delay from sandboxing to actual gaming. Yeah, we were actually connecting one. Uh, it was one Thursday, so we were recording on Thursdays back then. We connected one Thursday, ready to go, ready for the first session, and the conversation started with, "Well, Paul and I were talking." And that was the first that at least Tim and I had heard of switching over to Savage Worlds. So it was it completely and totally caught us off guard when the uh, when the conversation started because we were we had our dice ready. We were ready to go. And we thought that was going to be, you know, game number one. What a blessing in disguise, though. We we said we struggled through the D.C. character generation. Mm-hmm. And I get the I get the impression that is a much more chunky system more so than savage worlds i would agree yeah and so you know as as we've been doing this um and most of the stuff's been edited out by aaron which kind of touches on another question later but uh, i think that the easy the the uh simpler system uh works better for the two you know the the skype game yeah no i i agree i i think you know uh the the tagline on savage worlds is that it's fast and furious and and while uh <laughs> There's what you don't get to hear, you know, as a listener to the edited version of Knights of Rainsboro is us going, oh, crap. How do you do that again? Uh, how, how many dice is that? Uh, what page is that on? Yeah. Uh, does that happen? Does that happen immediately or does it have to wait for his turn? I mean, and, and that's just simply because 
number one, none of us had ever used the superheroes companion before. And uh, two, I don't run a whole ton of Savage Worlds. So, you know, I was constantly going, so Tim, what is that again? <laughs> Tim, Tim, how much damage does a church pew do to somebody? <laughs> Even I, I was like, uh, <laughs> that took five minutes. <laughs> that was the, well, how much does a church pew weigh? I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, going back to Tim's point about the character generation, right? I mean, like, did any of us actually generate the characters using the DC hero system? Oh, yeah. yes. Or were we just kind of waiting for Aaron to do them? Oh, no, no we I all did. had our character sheets ready to go. I, 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 did, I mine. did it. I did it, but then I gave it to Aaron and said, I'm over budget. <laughs> yeah, but I, I seem to recall it was more of a bucket. <laughs> you do the math. <laughs> that might have been Jonathan. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, Jonathan just wanted me to ask him about his character. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, so given the choice, if uh, if there were no other factors involved, what system would you want the game to be in? Is Savage Worlds a preferred system, or is there something else? I think for the style of play that we have, for me, Savage Worlds is the game to do it in. See, I would love to see with this particular group something that's kind of similar to Fate. Like, I've heard Icons mm-hmm. takes the uh, the aspects of Fate, mm-hmm. and I think this group would do very well with with aspects mm-hmm. and being able to, to tag things and use catchphrases and things like that. Yeah, I've, I've read a little bit of Icons. I've never played it, but uh, it does look like an interesting system. But, you know, for, for, for what we were doing... I think Savage Worlds was a good fit. I don't think Hero System would be a good fit for us. No, I don't. No, I enjoyed Hero. I enjoyed Hero System when I tried it. I would love to play a long-term campaign in it, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't scream Skype game to me. No, no, no. You, there's too much to it. There's too much about it that I love that is fun that wouldn't happen in a Skype game. Yeah. Knock Mac doesn't mean as much unless we were using something like Map Tools. And the way that we do our recordings, it's just easier to free flow and not use maps and minis. You know, I'm glad we're not doing anything like map tools for this campaign. Yeah, yeah so no- I think we answered Sean Dunlap's question, D Lab's question about how long we usually we usually game and what we're cutting. Yeah, it's yeah, it's usually about two hours. Yeah, that we uh, that we we do. You know, more more like an hour forty five because usually fifteen minutes of bullshitting. <laughs> until Tim calls us uh, yeah, on well, it. I mean, ultimately, yeah. yeah, until Tim gets pissed off. Is, you know, and ultimately, <laughs> what we try to do is we try to get the, the game sessions to about an hour. I mean, ultimately, after editing. But I think they roughly, what, come out to about an hour 20? Yeah, just about. And I got to say, Aaron does do a great job, both with the editing out of the, the various rules minutiae and then also with the uh, kind of the post-production stuff you hear at the very beginning, like the, uh, you know, the fake... A, uh, FM radio show in the morning and the uh, the fake uh, Billy Joel concert uh, uh, bit. Uh, he, he does a lot of work on that. It comes out looking looking great. I've lost track of how many times I've complimented him after an episode because of how well the you know the editing came out. It really listening to it. I I know where we stopped and had a discussion about something or we had rules conversations, but listening through, you can't tell. It just immediately skips beat. Occasionally uh, lining up just perfectly where you have no idea that you missed a 10-minute rules conversation because it's so free-flowing. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I thought that I think that was a decision on everybody's part that this wasn't going to be a how-to-play Savage Worlds right. uh, you know, actual play. It was more important to tell the story. 
Well, and so I, we, we also kind of, came to that decision, gosh, I want to say it was probably our third episode, where um, as much as we could and as much as, as, as we could remember to do is after we had rolled the dice, crunched the numbers, determined outcome, we'd actually have the, the whoever won the roll describe the action so that it would just edit together a lot crisper. Uh, in terms of that outcome. So, I mean, you know, so much of the mechanics winds up on the floor. Where I tried to leave some of the dice rolling in is when I thought that the uh, the uh, dice roll or the negotiation around Benny's uh, was particularly amusing. Like in, in episode 13, getting so many of the players down to zero Benny's, you know, in in that conflict tickled me. I don't know if it amuses anybody else. But it amuses me a great deal. <laughs> well, and I love the sound of the dice rolling on the recordings. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I've listened to some other actual plays. And I don't know why it is, but we seem to you seem to be able to hear the dice better on some of ours than I have on others. Except well, for Paul. Except for Paul. Yeah, yeah except Paul. for me. Paul Hippie. I lost my dice bag. Hippie. What episode did I lose my dice bag? Like, I think it was like 0. 0.5. <laughs> yeah, I lost my dice bag. And I, to this day, I still don't know where it is. I have, I have purchased new dice. But yeah, I was using an online digital roller for a while. And uh, it, 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 was, it wasn't the same. Didn't, didn't you once refer to your dice bag as your dice knapsack? only on twitter (laughs) and real quick let me just go ahead and say that that paul being a relatively uh relative newcomer to role-playing games has made some of the best parts because i forget because he's really good at i kind of forget he's new until he does that thing well yeah you know the well i i knock him out so that i can take (laughs) him into my secret lair (laughs) you know over and over again, those moments happened. This game almost came to a screeching halt when Paul, in the in his the identity of Hair Trigger, proposed whacking Coyote in the back of the head. Now, now to be fair, he, he didn't propose. He said, "I give my guy the sign." <laughs> he kind of rolled back time a little bit just to make sure that that our game did not implode. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so so here's the thing. Like, you know, I'm I, I'm not much of a gamer. You know, we both we all know what my experience in gaming is, and it's very limited. And you know, so I thought it would just be like a funny story moment, and that's really where I was going for, instead of like this player versus player tension that erupted. Well, Have you erupt, met Tim? Was, you know, Tim, Tim, <laughs> Tim was going to cut me. Have you met the coyote? That's a tomahawk to the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tim was driving to my car that night, or driving to my house that night to <laughs> kick my ass. The ball uh, knife was out. That, that, that was totally not my intention. <laughs> I think I remember saying, Aaron, from here on out, none of this is my fault. Uh, yes, and I think yeah. that's actually in the audio stream for that episode. Because <laughs> I left a lot of that in because it amused me so much. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so uh, but, you know, but, it, I'm, go ahead, go ahead, Andrew. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say it's it's been a delight to have Paul because uh, he's he's great at playing hair trigger. He swears like a sailor, which is awesome. And uh, for you know a 16 year old girl to do that, and it's just these moments he has brought to the to, to he, yeah, sorry, 18, sorry. But these moments he's brought to the show just are some of the most memorable for me. 
Yeah, you know, he kept asking early on, you know, I'm I'm not screwing up anyone's fun, am I? I? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He did a bunch of apologizing early on. I don't know if he realizes this, but for me as well, Paul was one of the things that made this first arc. It was just watching him game when he hasn't gamed a lot yet and seeing him experience some of this stuff for the first time really, you know, was the highlight of the game for me. You know, the... The crazy mistakes he was making that just led to a better story. Oh, yeah. Because it's an inexperienced hero, and it's an inexperienced player playing the inexperienced hero. Okay, it works okay. so good. Let's enumerate, Paul. I hope you appreciate this. Let's enumerate Paul's mistakes. Absolutely. <laughs> sure. Let me pull not? that volume one. <laughs> we, we have already – you know, But before we do this – <laughs> Before we do this, I want to, I, want, I got to give credit where credit's due. And Aaron thankfully took most of my screw ups and turned them into story beats that worked. <laughs> like storming the castle alone yeah. turned into, you know, the castle exploding and <laughs> turned into probably one of the best moments of the series so far. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, that that wasn't his original intention was to blow up the building. I'm sure that wasn't really in the plan when it, we first started. Uh, that would that would be that would be true. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, OK, so Hair Trigger decides to whack the coyote, which we talk our way out of. <laughs> uh, Hair Trigger forgets, you know, uh most of <laughs> forgets the uh, the the importance of protecting one's secret identity <laughs> multiple times. Yeah, yes. multiple times gets gets misconstrued gets her stories misconstrued between Joseph Reck and the alchemist. <laughs> um, forgets that she's a teleporter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my my favorite forgets that all of her skills are with guns. Oh yeah, I I hit him with my shock stick. I yeah, I have to say that was probably one of the most consistent things that I was amused about in terms of 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 how Paul played Hair Trigger is that, you know, she was very much okay. Handguns are killing attack, you know, and that was something that she self that that Hair Trigger self limited herself on wasn't anything that I ever said. Anytime you shoot your your handguns, you're going to be at risk of killing somebody, you know, because we decided earlier on that that unless declared. None of your attacks are killing attacks, right? You know, we, we'd all had the conversation that we want villains to recur, and you know that that uh, that damage shouldn't be killing damage. Yep. So, is that one of those things that got outvoted on. Yes, yes it is probably. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, so so you know, Paul would be in a combat situation, and he would well. Let's see. Uh, let me try shock sticks. Let me try hitting the guy. Let me try kicking him. Let me try a stern look. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think it was until issue 13 that Paul's like, huh, I've got a better skill with these guns than I've got with anything else. I loved what he actually said that too. It, it was it was the fight, the ninja fight in the la in that last episode where yeah. it was like I tried punching him, it, you know, I tried shooting him, and then I tried punching him. I'm like, and then I tried punching him again. I'm like, you know what? Fuck this, seriously. <laughs> Shoot you know, him in the neck. Well, the I funny thing is, you joked about it earlier too. Like when you were fighting uh, Honey Badger, I was making comments about just shoot him. And I honestly, just to wrap up the, the, the hair trigger discussion, I think when we get to favorite moments, the hair trigger is going to come up a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. As well. yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we when we were doing this, we uh, 
whether we wanted to or not, or if it was just a matter of how it materialized organically. There was a lot of NPCs that we uh, we latched onto in the series. Yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, Aaron. It's kind of collaborative, though. Really, kind of all of us kind of kind of worked together and 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 took the seeds that that Aaron kind of sowed and, and turned them into some really people that actually started to care about it, wonder about like like Tim's dad. Well, not his real dad. Sorry, his <laughs> grandfather. That's Aaron rubbing off on me there. Yeah, boy, I've, I've uh, made that error a lot through the game. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the coyote's grandfather, that guy, when I heard he had a heart attack, I was like, oh, my God, I hope he's okay. And I was like, he's not real, Andrew. Step out of it, man. I, I, Tim, yeah, I'll let you comment on this. But, you know, in that episode where uh, Coyote finds out that his grandfather uh, had had a heart attack, you seem legitimately pissed off. I I was. Yeah. I don't think it was for that reason, but I think it was like – one of those situations where I was already kind of in a mood, mm. and then that happened, and it was like Jimmy Christmas. Well, and this was in <laughs> this was in issue nine, and I you know it seemed like because we were all joking around as I recall, it was kind of a weird episode. We were split up. Hair Trigger had been taken captive. We were running down this dry well, basically this tip that we'd gotten that went nowhere. It was kind of frustrating. There was a couple of pocket square jokes. As I recall, a security guard was just in love with Ricochet and was letting him lick Monet's. No, no, he was letting him, <laughs> he was letting him he, touch Monet's with the uh, the uh, Cheeto covered hands, Cheeto covered yeah. fingertips. Yeah, I, but he's a professional. He's not going to let him lick a painting. Come on, <laughs> right. It seemed like all that kind of built up on Tim more than I, I realized. I hadn't really picked up. I think that it was bugging him so much, all that kind of combining. And then at the end, when his dad has that heart attack, it's the last thing in the episode. And and yeah, you could tell then. Well, and Tim was the first one off the mics that night. And we we had the conversation afterwards. And I remember saying, maybe we should lay off the pocket square jokes. I, I think we need to throw Tim a bone next game because he seemed really upset. Yeah, we talked for about 20 minutes about it. You can't lay off the pocket square jokes, though. Those are just you, you just no. no <laughs> just, but at this point, every time every time Aaron puts one of those in, he knows I'm grading my team. <laughs> and I think that he does that for. Just I, I do that just for Tim. I know. <laughs> you know, there's a contingent of pocket squares <clears throat> and one or two coyotes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I what I really wanted to do. Tim, as I wanted to be there with you when you listened to the episode where we had, you know, the morning zoo and they were talking about the pocket square biopic. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I really need to be with Tim when he hears this the first time. <laughs> I love the morning zoo and I loved uh, DJ Kitty playing a part of it. <laughs> uh, that It was fantastic. And then with Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Alba co-starring in the pocket square biopic. That was just awesome. So, you know, we, we had a, a number of, of non-player characters in the game, and, and I think my most challenging one to find a voice for was Joseph Rack. You know, the, the, it never occurred to me how he was going to sound until uh, the first time he showed up in the game. And, I, and it dawned on me as I am speaking the character, as I'm voicing the character, I'm like, I have no idea what this guy sounds like. I, I, Joseph Reck was a real challenge for me. Well, he came off of the very fatherly sounding character. He really did. And it, well, and I, and I guess I think that's where I finally got to with him. But I remember the first time I played him, I was like, I I have no idea what this guy's gonna say. 
I was going to say, I always imagine Joseph Reck as like a Doc Savage meets Tony Stark kind of character. Right. And what's funny is, you know, this is kind of my fault, too, because, like, I, you know, I created three characters, right? And then we chose one. And I'm like, well, fuck it. I'm going to find a way to fit the other two in there somewhere. <laughs> anyway, you know, and so I jammed Joseph Reck into the Zero issue. And it basically, you know, he, you know, Aaron made him this character in the larger story. And of course, I'm working on something with the skull, too. And, you know, he was in the Zero issue. So it's just kind of funny that, I, you know, I, I kind of like forced them in there. And, and Aaron, you know, Aaron did a pretty damn good job with Joseph Reck. That is, it's not. It's totally not the way I saw the character going, but it worked even better than whatever I had planned for him, you know? I I was just going to say, you know, it's funny to hear you talk about how you had a hard time voicing Joseph Reck because you went from that first issue where I guess you were having a hard time to I think it was like issue four where he storms into the lab and starts chewing Hair Trigger out, which was priceless. Yeah. Yes. I have to say that's where I first got comfortable with him. Because I, I, I kind of figured out who he was in the game. I mean, I really, I there was. If you saw my notes, I've just got pages and pages of notes, and each one of the NPCs has their notes and whatnot. And normally, what I'll do is I'll write out in the corner what what they sound like in my head. And I didn't do that with Joe Rick, and I didn't realize it until you know he appears on the scene that I hadn't done it. And so I just kind of figured out who Rick was in the course of the game. But I got to say, in terms of favorite moments, the scene where Wreck yells at Hair Trigger the first time and Paul is stammering on the mic. <laughs> That's one of my favorite role playing moments so ever. Scared. Yeah. <laughs> I was so horrified. I'm like, why is Aaron yelling at me? <laughs> He's yeah. using my own character against me. It was it, it part of it was that Paul was legitimately not just playing. Right. He was legitimately just did not know what to say. It was terrified. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, that was absolutely true. I was legitimately like un- I was legitimately stammering. That wasn't in character. <laughs> that was Paul fucking up. Aaron, Aaron was a <laughs> I'm sure hair trigger. <laughs> because you know he he started because that you know that's where it edited right at that moment. Mm-hmm. But we started with a nice calm conversation about Paul being in his lab. Oh, and Joe Rex walks in, and then Aaron loses his shit. He <laughs> 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 suckered Paul in. <laughs> I've never been so glad for a mute button during, as I have been in the course of this campaign because there are just times where I can't speak. I'm laughing so hard. And most of them had to do with hair trigger. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The NPC that surprised me the most was Lester. Because when you first introduced Lester, the not the uh, the very first time when he was uh, the lovable no. guy stuck on the train. No. But <laughs> when, I, I when I was thrown I into his depart- apartment and you're describing all the, uh, the wires running into the other room, mm-hmm. I was convinced at that moment that he was somehow controlling Big Pink. Oh. And that this was going to be the bad guy that was controlling it. And I'm playing the episode for my wife, and she's like, that's the guy controlling the big pink thing, isn't it? So that's what I expected out of Lester initially when I went, when I ran, you know, fell into his room was, this is going to be the bad guy. This is Aaron trying to give me a chance to stop the big pink monster without fighting it. Oh, no, I didn't and I, do that. that it's, that couldn't have been farther from the truth. And that's why Lester was the big surprise for me, just how much I ended up liking that character and how he developed. Because I really – I thought he was the bad guy originally. 
I gotta say, I fell in love with Lester, and I thought he was just gonna be a one-off character when when you first met him and he was stuck on the uh, the monorail because uh-huh. just that plaintive little no. <laughs> oh, and I rolled so horribly trying to rescue him. I don't remember how much of that made it onto the actual recording, but I just bombed my roll after roll after roll trying to rescue the guy. And I remember at one point saying to you, I don't know if I got that. I was like, I was like, Wayne, you can't let that lovable loser die. Yeah, <laughs> gotta save him. <laughs> Spin that Benny. I like how I like how uh, Ricochet shook him down for minute rice at the end of it too. <laughs> Volunteered <laughs> because, because Ricochet is our real American hero. <laughs> you know that moment was actually one of the one of the things that led to the real voice of Ricochet for the rest of the game was uh, this idea of... Because all along, he'd been compared a lot to Spider-Man, and I always knew that this character was not Spider-Man. His powers may be kind of similar, but he's in tone, in voice, in the way he actually behaves. This is not Spider-Man. And that's one of the ways where I really was able to start pushing that part of him forward, that he's... This isn't the, uh, you know, the straight and narrow Peter Parker. This is a... You know, he's a good guy. He'll he'll fight to save anybody, but he's not necessarily a Boy Scout either. The episode that Lester appeared in uh, was an episode that Paul wasn't on. I don't know if you guys recall uh, that or not, but it, we had a so. we had a last minute cancellation from Paul. And so, you know, I had known that I was going to introduce Lester, and, and Lester's kind of based on a character that uh, – a real-life character that is featured in a book by Richard Preston. I don't know if you know who Richard Preston is. He wrote The Hot Zone, The Cobra Event, and the book I'm talking about is Panic in Level 4. And it tells the story of these two brothers, uh, two just brilliant men who uh, – a number of personal disorders but build a supercomputer in their New York City apartment out of spare parts and bubblegum. But uh, so that's kind of where I got my my general idea for Lester in. But also introduced in that episode, I believe, is the little boy that Necropath Louis. befriends. Yeah, yeah, Lucky Louie. Yeah, Louie. Now, I Louie was generated on the fly because there was a clue that I needed to introduce to the game and was originally going to be introduced to Hair Trigger. But because Paul wasn't in the game and I needed – I mean I think this was like episode four-ish, somewhere in there. I needed to I needed to go ahead and get this thing rolling, you know, and that was the whole uh, comic book trade paperback thing that uh, Louie had. Um, and so it, it's, it's funny because Louie was a complete throwaway character when I started and now he's this ongoing supporting character for Necropath. Let, let's be fair. Well, because Andrew James, keeps James stalking called it. it on this one. <laughs> yeah, that, James. That, kid, that kid is a freckled eight-year-old grenade for Andrew to throw. <laughs> <laughs> and James, I mean, I'm sure we'll play his, his voicemail in a minute, but James had it exactly right. And, and to James, I just got to say, because he, he specifically addresses me, and I got to say, knowing the destination the train's going doesn't mean I can just hop off it. <laughs> so, I am well aware where this is headed, and uh, I will be crushed uh, despite <laughs> the fact that I know where it's going. Hey, guys, it's James again, and I have some Knights of Rainsboro cues for you to A. Uh, first, is it just me, or is there a distinct possibility that this Lester fellow is going to end up being a supervillain? I mean, we already know he's involved in criminal activity. He steals electricity. He's created some kind of diabolical supercomputer from scratch. 
He's got an inordinate amount of influence over the leader of the Knights of Rainsboro, Ricochet. Seriously, it's a total setup for being a bad guy. Also, uh, with the kid situation with uh, Andrew's character, Dr. Necropath, should I just believe it's a coincidence that the only one of you guys with a kid who's having to miss funny books to take the kid to soccer is the one to take a kid to soccer is the one who is getting involved with the kid. Andrew, if you let Aaron do this to you, this is also a setup. He may not kill a dog, but he'll kill a kid. You are cruising for disaster. Uh, also, when are we going to see more of the pocket square? That guy is super cool. And then uh, this romance between the uh, coyote and hair trigger, assuming it gets to a physical level, are Wayne, are, uh, Tim and uh, Paul going to role play that out? Are they going to... Wait till the next Fear of the Con to get together and LARP it. Uh, either way, can we not hear that? Uh, I, I just don't want to hear it. Um, and then, let's see. Finally, some critics have claimed that Knights of Rainsboro is a uh, commentary on the breakdown of communication in the postmodern world. I was just wondering what your thoughts were. And with that, go Base Technologies, go! Uh, see, I have a I have a theory about this character. I have since nearly the beginning believed that this is Partisan's son, right? And that you know maybe even he'll have powers at some point, which would be cool. But I'm sure no matter how cool this kid turns out, if he's super powered or not super powered, I'm sure something horrible is going to happen to him at one point. I don't know about the kid, man. Like, you know, the necropath started like hanging outside his school and stuff. And it just it was a very uncomfortable uh, storyline for me. You know? <laughs> I, it's really what I have to say about that. I, 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 I think that's touching. <laughs> yeah. I you know, I like I thought we were going like. Like where that image comic echoes went, and you know <laughs> Andrew's character was going to end up Dude. being like this child molesting bad guy, but you know it didn't end up happening that way. So I'm happy that Andrew, you are not a deviant. I'm just glad yeah, Thistledown John. Yeah, I'm glad Thistledown John, based on his tweet, sees sees where I'm going with this. So I, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate your support, Thistledown. You know, one of the other NPCs that I loved, and I, we haven't talked about this one uh, ahead of time, but the owner of the New Delhi Deli. Oh yeah. Uh, that that was a continual live. Uh, Hello, place welcome we, to the New Delhi Delhi. Yeah, a place that we kept going and that you rolled with Tim when he threw out there, you grew up in Rainsboro. Yeah. <laughs> we grew up two blocks from each other, Mickey. Stop it. <laughs> That's one thing I love that when we threw a curveball to you, Aaron, you found a way to go with it in the story. Something like that, that character that NPC suddenly changed personality at the drop of a hat. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, and that that have I, I noticed that as well in the in the situation where you went to the, or when uh, Ricochet went to the tailor and started asking about why you put race car logos on it. <laughs> You're selling ads, Jimmy. That you know, <laughs> gives me free beer. <laughs> without missing a beat. It was fantastic. Aaron is is quite good with that. Yeah, that's pretty good. And I didn't give Aaron any advance warning that I was planning on doing that. Oh, I'd no. been planning on doing it the entire time. And I I heard in your voice at first you didn't know what I was getting at. No, either. I didn't. I didn't have a clue. I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? You know. But you know, you just roll with it. <laughs> well, it, it, just so people know, we we don't really talk out 
what's going to happen, but we it's almost like a little game. We'll throw crazy stuff out there just to see how other people are going to respond to it. And uh, uh, it, it's amazing how well it all kind of comes together. Well, and, you know, one of the things that, that I really enjoyed most in the game, you know, and again, you know, so much of this involves around hair trigger. Um, but there was that when the first time where she takes you guys down to her secret lair, we actually did a little <laughs> mini sandbox session in the game. You know, tell me what your lair looks like. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, we did, we did that in the game and that was a blast. And it, it made it made her lair where a lot of the action of the game takes place a lot more interesting, I think, because y'all got to build it on the fly. Was that the secret layer or the super secret layer, or the place where she keep oh, place really? where she keeps her secret shit, <laughs> or the place they hold their captives? <laughs> What's funny to me is you know Aaron is the one who does most of the prep for these shows. I mean we 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 do very little prep for these shows. I think some people wonder, you know, you listen to the show and some people really are just into the story. Right. And they're like, you know, I like how it doesn't have the mechanics, you know, it just feels like a story, you know, like an audio drama, but it's like an audio drama that is totally not rehearsed and recorded live. And it's, I can't remember a time that we actually, I can remember one time where we actually went back and recorded a bit and it's not because it was unprepared or sucky. It was because, um, I think Tim was having Skype issues that night. It's because the audio sucked so bad. Yeah. This scene was so great and the sound quality was such, you know, crap that it had to be redone because that could not be lost. Yeah. Yeah, It was a pivotal moment where Tim, for the first time, ask out Hair Trigger, and and we couldn't we couldn't lose that. That's right, because you know those two kids are going to make it work. Not not if I have things to say about it. <laughs> you know, one thing that I think's been different about this actual play versus others I've listened to, it, we've hit on a bunch of times. It's this focus on the story, even to the point of the zero issue. I've never heard a zero issue or anything like that from other. You know, other actual plays. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun writing the a fiction story about the character and doing it before we started gaming. That gave the voice of the character to me. I mean, you know, what is this character actually going to be like? How is it going to behave? You know, getting a chance to flesh that out before you actually sit down ready to play the first game. That, I think, added a lot to the story. Right. Well, and I, I gotta say, Wayne, you know, we talk a lot about Hair Trigger and and her, how she has these big bits that are we find so amusing. But I gotta say that you do a really fantastic job with with Ricochet, and because it seems like you've got this top layer, this outer coating of goofy jokes and bad puns, but underneath it, you've got this whole thing that I didn't really catch until I started re-listening to episodes, where his mood is really based upon how much he's been using his powers lately. Yeah. And I you am, keep track of that, and you reflect it really well in the show. And, and it's a deeper thing, but when I caught on to it, I really I really found it amazing. I'm glad to hear you, you say you caught on to it, because that was something when we started going over what we think worked and didn't. I didn't know if that came through at all. Well, you did, yes, it, you he did is, it so subtly. You did it so subtly. It's great. to his power. So the more he's been bouncing, the more hyper and energetic he is. The, the less he uses his powers, the more close to normal he is and i did play that through the entire first story arc but i didn't know how much of that really came through like i said when we were actually recording it live i didn't pick up on it all mainly because i was probably thinking about you know we're killing this i'm going to roll which die i need and and that but when i listened to it i i picked up on it it was uh it was good it's like this little hidden his hidden hidden present for people a little hidden easter egg 
Well, I think it becomes the most clear is in that episode where uh, his arm is is uh, a little paralyzed, and you know he he's he's I think he's recovering from the honey badger fight and whatnot, and you, you know he's a lot more sullen in that episode. That really kind of drives that point home in that one. I was gonna say that was the episode where um, they came and rescued Hair Trigger from the tower. I think because you know he had to. He had to be subtle. He had to be quiet and walk, and he couldn't just right. bounce all over the place. And then he got angry, and he dropped the F-bomb. Yeah. <laughs> I made a point through the entire campaign. This was a character that didn't cuss. Mm-hmm. And then I, it slipped out in that scene. And it's like I was thinking to myself, man, I didn't mean to do that. But it fit the way he was acting differently. Another kind of recurring thing I really enjoyed that Aaron was doing with Tim was every time Tim went back to his houseboat, if you noticed <laughs> – there were two things that were that were always there. There are constants. <laughs> there are two constants. Yes, there was something bad waiting Problems. for him. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was his hot neighbor. I particularly enjoyed in the the first episode or two where the hot neighbor is is featured. There's kind of this underlying. I think that's a supervillain. <laughs> you know the the, the whole because that hot spot. Who is the hot neighbor? You know that kind of tickled. <laughs> you know. I think Wayne called that. I'm like, you know, I wasn't even thinking that. It was more like, you can't have a one night stand with a chick that lives right next to you. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> well, you can, you can, Tim, but you have to be willing to unhook that boathouse afterwards yeah. and sail away. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, hot neighbor would have, would have had a lot more prominence had uh, hair hair trigger shut down the invite to the uh, cavalry game. <laughs> so Tim, I, I want to ask you, and maybe this is the wrong time, but I don't care. What what was your motivation as as Tim to to kind of start that whole see if you could pursue this romance with Hair Trigger? Um, I honestly was going with the fact that he's kind of a womanizing kind of like he has that kind of thought process, and you know, hanging out with an eighteen year old hot chick, yeah, he would be like that. The fact that it, <laughs> The fact that it was Paul didn't really occur to me until after I did it. Like, <laughs> you know, that is Paul, Tim. I'm like, oh, well, until I know. Uh, when you're having your touching. Yeah, you made your, it your, awkward. Yeah, it, was, it is a little weird. I, I, I give you that. Honestly, I was completely in character. And I I don't know. We had your deep heart to heart there. That was that was pretty cool. I gotta tell you what that we had bad sound quality, but even through all that, it was it was a pretty cool moment. Well, part of it was the fact that Jeremiah felt bad that he like knew who she was, and so he thought well, that would be the way to make it up was to you know kind of platonically take her to a, a, a baseball game, and like this is my this is actually my name, and it wasn't gonna turn into anything else unless you know it progressed that way. That's kind of how it was. It wasn't intending to be this like big seduction thing <laughs> just think of how different the story would have been if she hadn't forgotten that she could teleport yeah, think about how think about how different would have gone if instead of going to storm the castle by herself she had come to the ball game well, or if just after storming the castle successfully and finding the information she wanted if she would have left with it instead yeah. of going into a bathroom stall if she I had just because i was surprised as hell that 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 hair trigger did that like i was I was 99% certain she's going to be telling me to fuck off. <laughs> Especially <laughs> after that conversation at the deli. Everybody's basically saying, you know, we know everything about you and you're lying and you're well, working that's... for the bad guy. And that was the conversation where we tricked her. Well, we didn't really, tr- you know, we didn't really, I can't say we tricked her. 
where she revealed that Joseph Reck is the alchemist really through little prompting of ours. Because it's the, oh, no, yeah, he has nothing yeah. to do with it. Oh, no, no, he funds it. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Best superhero. Uh, yeah, I, you know. <laughs> you know, it, at first, it was just my stupidity. I got to be honest. I mean, like, I'd say for the first eight episodes, maybe nine, <laughs> it was like my stupidity. Like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Because, like, it was hard for me to distance myself between, like, Talking like, talking like you know, we we sandbox, and it, 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 coming from a new gamer, it was hard for me to talk to you guys about stuff you shouldn't know in character. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say things, and the, and then you'd be like, "Well, Paul, or well, Hair Trigger, doesn't that mean that Joseph Reck is blah blah blah?" And I'm like, "Shit," <laughs> you know, like I wasn't thinking about it at the time, right? <laughs> Um, you know, but eventually, like, I was just like, you know, she's inexperienced. She's going to do stupid things. And, like, that seemed to click with her character. You know, at first, I always imagined Hair Trigger as kind of like this surefire. You know, one of the things we're going to talk about later is what comics inspired Knights of Rainsboro. And if you look at the timing of when we did our character creation episode, um, it was when Ron Mars's Velocity comic was coming out from Top Cow. Yeah. And so Hair Trigger was really inspired by that comic. You know, I, I didn't want to do a super fast <clears throat> a speedster, but I figured, you know, but looking at the comic with Velocity, like there are pages where you see Velocity like 12 times just because she's so fast. And I'm like, you can get that same image by using a teleporter, you know, like a nightcrawler type thing. And so like she was so inspired by that. And, you know, and I, I kind of imagined her a lot like Velocity. Sure fire, sure of herself, blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. You know, super smart, not going to screw up. I mean, the whole, the freaking fact is she's supposed to be a genius, but she's a freaking idiot. So I kind of played into that, like, eventually I just decided, you know, she's book smart, but she doesn't have a lot of common sense. And it just, it, it seemed to work for her character in the long run. And I think it did work for her character. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that the, the mistakes that she made through the game were were the the mistakes that someone who is smart but not world wise you know kind of makes you know it's it's the kind of mistakes that you would see somebody like Doogie Hauser make <laughs> you know it's it's that you know I don't understand how the world yeah. works kind of errors. Oh, I got to answer one question here. Yes, you do. Uh, your voicemail thing is weird. Anyway, greetings, Knights. Dave's here from uh, Baltimore, Maryland, with major compliments for you guys. You have an awesome show. I've loved every moment of Knights of Rainsboro, and I'm really looking forward to what y'all have in store for us next. And, yeah, obviously I'm reading from a text file, but eh, who gives a shit? I guess the biggest compliment I can give you guys is to tell you that there was a scene in one of your zero-issue stories that actually inspired what might become my first novel assuming I maintain the discipline I need to write the damn thing, you know. Uh, it's nothing directly related to the show. There's no copyright concerns or anything like that. And if I actually get close to publishing, I'll get in touch and let you guys know more. But for now, I just wanted to thank you guys for the inspiration. I do have a quick question, though. It's kind of a big, burning question. What the fuck is a pocket square? I honestly have no clue what you're talking about when you reference that. I actually picture the coyote cutting a piece of pants out with a knife and sticking it to its face. So, yeah, what the fuck is a pocket square? Anyway, peace. What is a pocket square? What is it, well, Tim? <laughs> I'm just—I'm almost tempted not to tell because it's probably 
you know, it's probably going to be a letdown. <laughs> a pocket square is a nice name for a hanky, basically. When you're wearing a, a you know, a suit, you don't call it a hanky, you call it a pocket square because you're sh- going to be showing it because that's these two pieces of color that's on your actual suit is your tie and your pocket square. That's and the only a- thing he had on hand to cover his face. That's right. So he used his pocket square and Grandpa Joe's pocket square to form his mask. You and know, Tim, we've we've done all this talking about our favorite moments about uh, Hair Trigger. You had one of my favorite moments. It was right in that first game when you went to buy the suit and didn't have the money. And you basically you stole the suit and left an IOU. Well, it was that the, the stores were closed that day because it was a, a citywide day of mourning for partisans. Yep. And so he had it, to, and- he, it, it wasn't that he didn't have the money. It was that he didn't have the ability to, uh, you know, see a salesman and have his sale run oh. up. No, but he also didn't have enough money. Right. Grandpa had given him money, but hadn't oh, bought yeah. a suit in right. like ten years. Right. And, and Tim, I just want to know: Has the coyote gone back and paid that off? <laughs> um, the, it's it's kind of, okay to touch on that. It's kind of if you notice the way he works with animals is sort of a, yeah, you're going to do it now and I will pay you back later kind of yes. thing. <laughs> it, it, I remember he even before the big showdown, he even went out and spent spent quite a bit of time paying off a lot of those debts to those animals. Not, he's, he, said, he said the groundwork. So I, I'm imagining maybe the next Zero issue is going to be called Payback Day. Where he does <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that was, that was, that was strictly a function of when we did the sandboxing, it's like, yeah, I'm going to make a darker character. I'm going to, you know, you know, move that line. And that's honestly, I'm kind of sad because that's the only, that's one of the few places where I actually got a chance to do that. Mm-hmm. And, well, I, I know it's not really dark, but when you were riding down that, you know, from this, you know, this cl- clouds on your ghost horse, summoning lightning and hordes of bees, that was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, no, that was fun too. But yeah, there's there's points where it's like I haven't done anything really sh- like I've made comments that are shady. Like I think one point uh, the necropath says I'm going to hit an ATM and I think I said something like you should probably wear something over your face because. <laughs> well, do you think do you think part of the reason you haven't had that chance to kind of push that that boundary is because a lot of a lot of this solo time and, and face time that the coyote gets, he's spending with his family, which is one area of his life where you're not going to see him, you know, be flexibly, you know, morally flexible. That's probably fair. And organically, it's, it hasn't made sense to, you know. Well, I, I, I mean, I beat him to the sugar packets, so. I, I do <laughs> think that there there is a wonderful moment in issue 13 where he takes uh, Ninja's severed hand. And stuffs it in his shirt and says, "You know, hey, you might need this later." <laughs> yeah, decapitation. That's so. I was so, so mad, Aaron, because I had that in my head, and then Andrew took out that dude's eye, and I'm like, <laughs> "What? You just stole my goddamn thunder!" <laughs> it was so. It was such a cool scene for him. Like, honestly, that's that scene where Andrew and the landmine square off one on one. I'm like, Andrew's dead. <laughs> I have to say, there's there's taking, dude- Andrew's taking on the most dangerous guy. He's dead. <laughs> there were several moments in the game where I was convinced a character was a, a player character was going to die. Um, I, I was pretty convinced that the necropath wasn't going to make it out of uh, of the stadium. Uh, I, I am stunned that uh, Ricochet has survived not just one but two rounds with Honey Badger. You know that he's he's 
let's not forget when it gets big pink like three times. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. And honestly, you know, we're talking. We're going to talk a little bit about villains now. Big Pink's my fa- my my favorite villain. Why is that? Well, because the he sh- he's the first villain that shows up. Uh huh. And we threw the kitchen sink at him, and he didn't go down. And it was like, did Aaron make an impossible character right off the bat? What a dick. <laughs> it's Doomsday in episode five. Right, exactly. yeah, I was convinced we were fighting the guy that took out Partisan at that point. <laughs> because I was thinking, yeah, this is a peak Doomsday. <laughs> and then we've got that moment where you know my character jumps back down into the fight, picks up a car, is ready to throw a car at it. And Necropath, who I don't even know, says, you know, hey, hit him in the ears. And my character's like, okay, drops the car and does it. <laughs> I still can't believe you did that. <laughs> and it's like, if that didn't work, it would have turned out so badly. Right, you know, before, really... right before that, too, like, and I think this got cut in editing. Wayne hit the thing for 25. And just even to give a little example, like, our thresholds are like sevens. Basically, yeah. so if you do seven, you know it's shaken. Seven, another seven is wounded one. So he would, neck, you know. So Ricochet would have basically pasted any other PC with one punch, and the thing just kind of looked at him. Well, it, you know, that's kind of where I started to establish, you know, the Necropath's reputation for knowing things. And really, it was just dumb luck because I yelled out, I was like, "Get him in the ear!" And I completely forgot that that. The previous turn, Ricochet had picked up a car to hit him with. And so Ricochet's like, kind of shrugs, tosses the car aside, and hits him in the ear. <laughs> if that hadn't worked, I would have been ruined, but it worked, and, and somehow my character seemed to know things. But it's okay, because you had a plan. That's right, I, had, I got a plan. That was probably the best plan ever in the history of plans. We are referring, of course, <laughs> tell the story, Andrew. Sure. So, you know, we had transported this big pink guy, and after we had subdued him, we had studied him, and we had come to the decision that this was just some poor sap who was turned into this monster and was being tortured, basically. You know, he wasn't doing it because he was malicious. He was basically being poked with a, you know, a stick over and over again until he, he lashed out. And so I felt... You know, I felt kind of responsible for him, so I, I wanted to go make sure he was okay and be there when he woke up. Because we thought we had removed the basically the hot poker. So he wakes up, we get there, and there's like three guards smeared across different walls, and Big Pink's on a rampage again. And, and I look at Hair Trigger like, don't worry, I've got a plan. <laughs> I still didn't get those luxury box seats, Aaron, from that one guard either. I'm pissed. Because um, he's dead. <laughs> that should make it easier. Talk to his widow. Yeah. But uh, and 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 basically, my plan was, you know, it's not his fault. He's enraged. I'm just going to soothe him. And uh, I was soothing him successfully, as I recall, for a little while. And then he started to get pissed. I think after someone jammed a needle into his neck, character. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so, like a jungle gym. And, and you had already used all of your bennies to soothe him by that point. And so my response was, he was like, he like noticed this thing in his neck. I'm like, oh, I gotta distract him. And we're like right there next to each other. So I just lean in and kiss the guy. And I'll I'll never forget because I was like, what do I do here? <laughs> and I called you I, out for it. You really did. And I, I just I was I was I had no idea where to go. I had no <laughs> idea where to go. Because I was half expecting him to rip my face off with his teeth at that. Well, point. and in my, and in my head, I was like, "Well, I think he'd just bite Necropath's head off." 
<laughs> I considered yeah. that. I, I, I would not have been surprised if that's where you'd gone with it. But if you'd done some horrendous tearing damage and with a, like a scarred face, I would have. That that was not. Uh, well, that was something I was expecting. And uh, I think yeah, just throwing me across the room. Um, but yeah, that was that was great. You know, another necropath highlight was the fact that he continually forgot that he didn't have a travel power. Oh Everyone God. would leave, and he'd just be standing on the roof, like guys, guys, <laughs> assholes. It was, <laughs> it was going pretty well at first because Hair Trigger would just teleport me places, but then she gets captured, and we're staying on a roof seven stories up. And Ricochet goes bouncing away, and Tim goes off on his horse. And I'm standing like, son of a <laughs> bitch, taxi. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, what'd you guys think of Honey Badger? <clears throat> I loved him just for the meta joke. He was a good villain, but he, it, the meta joke about his name and, and the clip from YouTube, uh, you know what, so much more. You know what made his first appearance for me? I had never seen the YouTube video before. So, I was the perfect person to interact with Honey Badger mm-hmm. because I had no idea. I had no clue. Everyone's making these jokes about Honey Badger not caring. I had no idea what was going on. So, it's like, Okay, I'll flick him in the nose. I had no idea just how outmatched I was when I jumped down and started fighting him. My favorite comment on that was just Tim's little aside to you. Oh, Wayne, he's going to kick your ass. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I like putting my tomahawk in him. That's about all I could say about him. Yeah, both times he was taken down, it was you that had the final blow. Yeah, it was the magic attack that uh, that, – because, I mean, Honey Badger, you know, he's – very much a a a strength character he's a he's a physical combat character he you know, regenerates and all that kind of fun stuff but it's that magic attack that that got him each time you know what sold honey badger for me because i hadn't seen the youtube video before aaron said it curated the character either and so i was like you know like so aaron's making all these jokes i'm like you know he seems kind of funny like i don't get it and then i saw the youtube video and i'm like okay so it's funny like i you know but he's like this is terrifying he's supposed to be like this badass character and what, what really sold honey badger for me was jake Ekus's interpretation of him the jake Ekus artwork of honey badger was freaking incredible yeah uh, jake told me he drew more guts in that uh in that image than than he's drawn in a long time <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really like kind of hair triggers arch enemies in this it, it started one of the the one of the first catchphrases i think as we started record actual episodes which is Ninjas are balls, right? Well, ninjas are balls. Yes, and ninja, ninjo, and I love how Hair Trigger, the girl who doesn't want to shoot people and kill them, one of the first things she does is dump a guy under a city bus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I might have, I might have messaged Paul and told him to do that. <laughs> I have to say that final showdown. I guess it wasn't final because he, uh, he survived it and so did she. But that final showdown up on the rafters where uh, Hair Trigger's up there fighting. Was it Ninjo? Ninja. Or Ninja. Was up there fighting Ninja and gets stabbed through with the sword. That was an epic fight. I, I thought I was going to die there. I really thought Aaron was going to kill me there. I was getting in, in position in to, try to try to catch you when you, you know, when you were falling off. But you were still awake enough to teleport. But I, I thought that, that was my favorite scene of, of the... I think that was probably my favorite scene of the entire series. My favorite hair trigger moment, anyway, um, was, was when stabbed. that happened. You know, just was getting stabbed. Yeah, like <laughs> holy shit! Like this is 
I mean, like, she had funny moments, she had great moments, she had hero moments, she had silly moments, but this was, like, bam, like, this was the cliffhanger, and it wasn't a cliffhanger, I mean, it happened at the beginning of the episode, but just when it happened, I'm like, you know, that was what, that that final episode, it was like, okay, shit's real in this final episode, like, people are getting stabbed, people got eyes gouged out, shot in the knees. And that she was able to teleport herself and just lands there in the middle, and we, we have to, you know... We see the whole crowd fall back and that there's Hair Trigger laying there bleeding out. That was a powerful moment. That was that was awful because Coyote told her to go up there and then that happened and I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, and Ricochet was pissed. He was trying to get up there to find out who had done this so he could pound them into paste. I mean, I mean, honestly, issue 13, I think, from start to finish is, is one of the most engaging and enjoyable issues uh, out of all 13 for me. Really? I, you know, I, yeah, 13. I, yeah. There's so many great epic fights and so many things come to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. And between decapitations, maimings, hair getting stabbed, Ricochet le- uh, taking on Big Pinks, Lester's on the video board, uh, Billy Joel, man. Uh, and it's, New it's Jersey fantastic. treasure, but John Bon Jovi. Don't forget John him. Bon Jovi. Uh, Aaron threw him in just to hook me. I knew that happened. In Queen Latifah. <laughs> So my wife just yelled out from the living room that she's still waiting for me to fix Lester's wall for him. <laughs> Maybe you can like, take care of that in your point one issue. Yeah, like Ricochet's <laughs> gonna fix his wall. There's no way any fix he would do would ever pass code. <laughs> the building's yeah. likely to fall down from him trying to help. It's the thought that counts, Wayne. I bought him a nice pizza dinner at the end. You know, if we're talking about favorite team moments, mm-hmm. it, it had to be when we were all at the New Delhi Deli. Like after well, that, that, that first after time, that Honey Badger fight. Uh huh. The first time we were all together, or was that the first time when it was just uh, us without uh, without Hair Trigger? No, that no, the first time everybody was there when we okay. had the one one arm, and, and it was fantastic. There was it was like Andrew sneaking away the sugar packets so that Wayne would Ricochet wouldn't <laughs> steal them. Yeah. And then, I, hair trigger just falling all over herself giving up every secret she knows you know for a team moment i i love where the team is basically falling apart after the uh, the building fell on us and we all wake up and we're at the rec labs and you know joseph rec had that conversation with hair trigger and tells him that she has to to quit and we've got you know tim's pissed off and he's not going to steal anything and you know my character gives the uh gives his rousing speech about what he's going to do next is he's going to you know go to the concert and save people and just the whole team everything is just falling apart that was a you know that was a not a you know rousing team come together moment but from just a story standpoint i love that you know we've hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. you know as far as ricochet moments that was my favorite moment because i just have this scene of this panel of ricochet giving this speech and then the next panel, you see the rest of his body with his hands with the bag and the fridge open, shoving stuff in. <laughs> that was a that was a damn fine speech, uh, was. Wayne. That, that was amazing. <laughs> and, and the thought of him the whole time he's saying it and stomping around, he's just cleaning out drawers and just dumping them into the you know yeah duffel bags. Yeah, I I had this image of him wandering off with the big gold hand, you know, that, that's over there in the, in the corner of that lab. <laughs> <laughs> trying to fit it into the trunk of the Prius. Well, yeah, just over his shoulder, you know. <laughs> okay, I'm ready to go now. <laughs> you know what's funny? What was kind of sad about that scene is, you know, we ended the episode with this kind of like, 
pseudo breakup. I mean, we you know, in the next episode, we all got back together. But, like, we also took a break after that episode. I mean, didn't it took, like, two or three months after that episode for us to record again, didn't it? Yeah, that was when work came back and just kicked Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it wasn't just the band that was breaking up. It was also the podcasters, you know, for a little while. Without really intending to do so, we had a a very typical kind of superhero first story arc. You know, you got the band getting together, you got the band breaking up, and you got the band getting back together, you know. We even had the uh, misunderstanding in fights early on. Yeah. Because we had uh, Necropath and uh, and Coyote. Coyote were, had their fight very early on, and we weren't sure if we could trust Hair Trigger because we thought Joseph Reck was the bad guy. And no, he he is the bad guy. Just uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we he, thought he, it because it was true, but I mean, <laughs> you know, we thought that, so we thought that she was going to be the bad guy too. And no one will trust me with their cell phone. When when hair trigger when, when we find out that the little gold comms are all traceable and Tim just going oh son of a <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a favorite moment oh and I I love that it was uh, you know that it was Ricochet that thought of that can't you track them by these it's like yeah and Tim wasn't with us at the moment to hear it. That's right. He was at the hospital. Yes, but yeah, Meta yeah. Tim. <laughs> God. <laughs> so mad. <laughs> I would say out of all the villains we fought, the only one of them really didn't grab me. And that, I think, was Hot Spot. Yeah. And part exactly. of that was because there was no – we didn't get a personality. She didn't get to speak. Yeah, she yeah, really didn't only, get to – yeah, she didn't get to engage y'all much at all. The only real standout moment for her – was when she caught hair trigger. And <laughs> other, <laughs> other than that, she didn't have the personality the others did. Right. Yeah, I mean, Landmine didn't speak a lot, but his personality was on his T-shirt that we saw <laughs> on the first episode or second episode, <laughs> where you know had the arrow pointing down. <laughs> yeah, spot. but you know what? Good. I was gonna say, I think uh, Hot Land- Spot got one round. Yeah, she went. <laughs> she went down quick. Yeah. yeah. You know, Landmine had that big fight with Necropath in the final episode. I mean, yeah. that was like that was an epic fist fight between those two. Well, it was great because we were switching between. You know, we were using our powers. We were, we were throwing punches because our powers just didn't seem to be didn't seem to be deconnecting on either side. So we just resorted to like just trying to you know pop each other and, and take each other physically, and it was it was great. Yeah, and the very first fight with him was the the mutual knockout where him and I both got the. The Jokers. Yeah. And we both knocked each other out at the exact same time. It was one of those Superman Doomsday fight moments where, all right, this is this is all I got. You know, well, even Andrew or uh, Necropath said, I'm going to get him in a Muay Thai clinch. I had this image. I'm like, I never pictured the Necropath as a UFC fan. <laughs> <laughs> but that's funny because, you know, we talked about it when we were doing our sandboxing. They're like, well, you know, why does he have a D8 in fighting? And I was like, well, you know, growing up, he was caught on the whole mixed martial arts craze. And so, you know, through high school and college, he, he trained and, you know, competed at an amateur level. And then after he became a superhero, he started kicking that back up to a higher level and using it, you know, when he's out in the streets. And it just had never really come up because blasting someone's brains apart just is a little more effective usually but this guy you know i tried it a couple times and didn't really touch him so you know resorted to brass tacks 
Oh yeah, I was just saying one other thing with landmine because we're talking about you know the great finale that that he had, then the great finale he and he and Wayne had at the end of the first issue. It, it, even the beginning, the first time we see him when he walks into the middle of the crowded church, capacity seating, walks down the middle aisle, kneels down like he's you know going to cross himself, and then blows up the casket. Yeah, I mean, he, right there, he was a badass from the beginning. Absolutely. <laughs> and now he's a badass with with some depth perception issues. <laughs> 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 He's gonna have a hard time gauging where that bomb should go off. You know, <laughs> how far away that is makes he? More dangerous. <laughs> so you know, I, I gather from you know uh, feedback that we've all shared as we've gone through, uh, and you know the the excitement as we talk tonight um, that everybody enjoyed the game. But what was what was the reality versus your expectation? You know, what, what worked, what didn't work, you know, uh, what surprised you and what you feel like could have been better. Well, for me, when I look at Ricochet as a character, I envisioned him being able to take more damage than he does. Mm-hmm. You know, he was knocked out and basically he was the first down in every fight. And part of that was, he was the one, you know, out there in front taking the punches. Sure. But I expected him to be tougher. Mm-hmm. You know, he was good and do once he when he actually can hit something, which wasn't very often because I roll horribly, he could do ridiculous amount of damage with his strength, but he just couldn't take a punch like I thought he would. I think part of that though, Wayne, is that uh, for most of those fights, those punches were coming from either Big Pinks or Honey Badger, who if they fought like the Necropath, you know, I'd just be paced. Because there's no way I could stand in that league with those guys, and and I think you're the only one on the team who probably can actually go like toe to toe with Big Pink or uh, Honey Badger without just getting, you know, smeared with one punch. Yeah, I think I almost took out Honey Badger the first time, but but he managed to take me down first. I I think that talks to you know uh, my my surprise, which was the fact that these fights are so brutal. I did not expect like the way the mechanics work right. for the fights to be that brutal. Well, and, that, and for two hours, but you know, to be honest, it's like we we could get any one of us could the way these villains are, the, even the way our characters are, we could one hit or be one hit, right? Basically. Well, and you know, that's been my experience with Savage Worlds is because you know you got those exploding dice, and I mean, I have I, I have from my from my home game, I have had situations where I'm like, okay, th- there is no way these guys can can win this fight. They're going to have to retreat, and that's kind of how I build the scenario. And this will be, you know, something that they'll have to come back and address later on. And I've had, you know, the player characters die, explodes and explodes and explodes. The next thing you know, they've taken out the big bad in scene one. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> the the uh, the uh, the the dice mechanic, I mean, can is surprising on both sides of the table. You know, uh, it's real easy to, to, to be the player character who's like, oh, wow, you know, I just got my, my, my lunch handed to me. And it's real easy to be the GM who's like, wow, I really thought that I'd built a badass there. And, you know, they'd send him home crying. So I think that's just kind of the, 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 the magic of Savage Worlds is that it's really kind of hard to predict that. And so I think that, you know, as a, as a GM, you've got to be flexible and know, you know, that you can't predict where the story's going to go. I was also surprised that more of the the zero issue NPCs weren't a major focus. I love the NPCs we had, and I think they were better than the NPCs that we did in our zero issues, with the exception of Joseph Reck, though, and uh, and you know Tim's grandpa. None of the rest of the uh, 
the NPCs that we defined for our characters were anywhere near as interesting as, you know, Lester for me or that little kid for uh, for Andrew. You know, you made better NPCs for us than we had made for ourselves. Thank you, Wayne. Somewhere Necropath's dog's like, oh, come on, man, what did I do? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that kind of gets into, I kind of had three things that that didn't quite go or or I I didn't didn't enjoy. One was is that. Uh, so the first one kind of goes with that is that you know I didn't really get to use and and because of the pacing and whatnot the necropath didn't really get into his civilian life very much mainly when he was on the show he was in costume doing you know costumey stuff uh, and so I didn't get to see my dog much and you know obviously the dog can't have a conversation with me so I mean I imagine his NPC would be limited to a, a nice bow wow and a belly rub but still I, I kind of wish he gotten worked in and I really kind of wish. That we'd worked in more of, a, or I could have—I shouldn't say we. It's my, you know, it's, it's on me, but I could have figured out a way to utilize the Necropass kind of more detective-y skills because I'd built him to be, you know, kind of a Batman-esque detective guy, mm-hmm. and 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 I couldn't really, I'd, I'd, either through my own failing or, or not having an opportunity, I didn't get a chance to really utilize those abilities. I can see that. I, you know, the uh, I kept trying to get you back to home you know there were a couple of times right where i was trying to get you home and it just didn't work out that way um because i did want to have some of those quiet moments because everybody else got to have them you know uh uh, you know coyote got to got to be in his you know his civilian guys with with his family and hair trigger got to have conversations with joe rack and uh, uh ricochet got to have those conversations with lester and for some reason, I had a hard time uh, navigating you back, you know, to the hospital. And generally, when you were having your out of costume moments, they were with Louis. You know, yeah, it was either with Louis or that time I tracked down Jameson and right. uh, you know almost started a mob fight. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so that was one thing. And and hopefully, maybe in our second second issue, I can find a way to better utilize uh, those two aspects of my character. Right. But. The second thing we've kind of already talked about, which was issue nine, and I won't go into that anymore. But that was a that was kind of a low point. Uh, it, was, it was just in, anyone who's been in a long term role playing game knows you have those nights every now and then where things just don't congeal and come together the way they they usually do, and that was that was a little rough. Uh, but then finally, um, it was the recording schedule because you know when, when we first started out, we'd said, well, we're going to record weekly. Uh, and then it was every other week. And then between my life and Paul's life and, and Aaron's life, you know, there were these big gaps in recording that ended up working out. And and so it was a, a slower pace than I expected. But, uh, well, but, you know, that wasn't a major thing. It was just I wasn't expecting. Oh, that. yeah. Yeah. And in actuality, for me, a lot of the uh, the work things Aaron had in my work was, you know, I was working a ton of hours at that time too, so it all it all came down to Aaron because he was the run, one running the game. But to be honest, about half of the times, or maybe more, that Aaron had to cancel because he had to work, I was working too, and I wouldn't have been able to make it either. But it all comes down to Aaron because he was the one that had to say, "Okay, we're not gaming." <laughs> well, yeah, and, and there was like a six week stretch back in the fall where I couldn't do Wednesdays, and that that played a role too, and and. Whatnot. So I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just any one of us, but it just kind of real life got in the way oh, more yeah. than I thought it yeah, would. Yeah, it did. Yeah, and I, I can I can I can uh, 
throw on that too. I can concur with the scheduling being kind of a, a, a low point because there was a lot of times when I would check my Yahoo when I got home on a night we were supposed to do it and then find out it was canceled. That that was that wasn't cool. I didn't think that was cool. You know, and things happen and I get it, but it was like, wow, it just fell apart there right at the end. Yeah. Uh, it's like with anything you're looking forward to anticipating that that right. gets canceled last second. It's always it's always yeah. hard on you. That speaks to the fact that we you, really loved it, but yeah. I was gonna say if you look at the history of our Twitter feeds, every once in a while you'll see on a Wednesday that he that one of us posted like "fuck" or "god damn it" <laughs> or "today sucks." Yeah, it is referring to the fact that someone canceled the recording for that night. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a it's a testament to the fact that how much we all enjoyed this game that we struggled through the, those time barriers. Cause you know, I think that if we weren't enjoying it, we finally would have just said, well, it, blow this off, you know, for, you know, cause we talked about it, it was like about 18 months worth of, of, uh, you know, sandboxing and then actual gaming, uh, before we finished up on, on issue 13. And I, I enjoyed every night we got together. I mean, from sandboxing through every single game, I mean, I just thought it was a blast. And that always yeah. brought me back, even when I was just like pulling my hair out at work and just having a hard time, you know, disconnecting from from work stress into game. Uh, the game was always something to look forward to because it was just so much freaking fun. Yeah. And I know Andrew did the same thing I did when we had that huge break, you know, going back and re-listening to some of the old episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just get caught back up on what had happened and just remembering it and getting back in character before we started recording again. And that's when, uh, it was during one of those breaks when I realized, I was like, man, I haven't mentioned my dog at all. <laughs> and I haven't used my detective skills at all. And he's just waiting at home for someone to let him out. He's really got to go. <laughs> oh, I've, I've, I've got a fence you know, in the backyard and a dog door. It's uh, it's very high security. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's you know, you know, no, Eric's going to screw me because at some future date, someone's going to break into my apartment by going through the dog door. But <laughs> that would never okay, happen. I'm curious. I'm curious to hear from Paul now about uh, you know what his what didn't work for him. You know what, and Aaron will tell you this. And you know, Aaron and I were talking, yeah. but you know when I um. About halfway into the, about halfway into the the arc, I decided I hated Hair Trigger as a character. Um, I decided it wasn't working for me. She was too weak. I was tired of being the weakest character on the team because I didn't want to always rely on my guns. I wanted to be able to have a fist fight, but she was so weak in a fist fight. All she could rely on was her guns, and I'm like, you know what? She's a shit character. You know, I'm like, she, she she is really not good at all in a fight. Like, she has these cool character moments. She, you know, she has the lair, you know, that they use and blah, blah, blah. Like, she she serves a means to an end. But I decided, like, you know, I don't like playing her. And, you know, Aaron and I seriously had a conversation once um, about killing her off. Like, legitimately killing her off. And, you know, but I was like, yeah, let's let's hold off on it. You know, let's, let's wait a little longer. Let me, let me, you know, let's, you know, if if I decide to, you know, we'll go, you know, maybe we can do it at the end of the first arc, or at the beginning of the second arc. And, you know, I and I started, basically, I started working on the backstory of the skull um, as, a, as a character 
that could take over for her and be, you know, a supernatural, superpowered character. And, uh, you know, I decided, you know, uh, eventually I, I grew to love Hair Trigger. And she had, I, I think, some great moments in the last couple of episodes that really sold her for me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the hardest part for me was literally, like I said, about halfway into the series, I just decided I don't like Hair Trigger. I, I did not like her as a character. I did not like her as a fighter. And it just wasn't working for me to always be, like, the weakest person in the fight. Um, and it really was entirely around her, you know, her fight mechanics. Like, she was smart, but she just didn't work for me in a fight. Um, and so, in a, a superhero game, if you can't be in the big super fights, like, you know, like, she wasn't Batman. Or maybe she could have been, but, like, I wasn't smart enough to make her Batman. <laughs> you know, I mean, she, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, like, I couldn't make her, like, you know, Batman could kick Darkseid's ass. But I couldn't figure that I, you know, I couldn't figure that out with hair trigger, and uh, you know, it was it was it was becoming hard for me to figure out what to do with her as a character, and you know, and in the end, she still got her ass kicked. But I think when I ultimately, you know, what it it still ended up with her, you know, being a great character. But I mean, in the end, I mean, she's still really. I mean, she got stabbed pretty bad in that last episode. So I mean, I think there are still some mechanics I'll have to work out for our second arc to make her more viable in a fight. But yeah, that, that was my. That was <laughs> Drug <Problem>. shooting. <laughs> well, I don't want to shoot a lot. I want to be able to have, and that's why that's how the the shock sticks came in. And you know, I think we actually talked about this off mic in um in the last game. I was using the shock sticks wrong, and they should have been way more powerful than I was making them. But I was, you know, I was miscalculating, and you know, they were about half as powerful as they should have been. But had I used them correctly. That probably would have been a serviceable substitute in a hand-to-hand combat fight. You know, and I would say use things like the teleport, teleport behind someone and then hit them with the shock stick. You know, just when yeah. you're describing what you're doing with the attacks, when you actually hit, give it more color, and I think you'll like the character better that way too. You know, well, mechanically, and- mechanically, hair trigger took a lot of like smart person skills. Yeah. Like more, not just one, but I think it was to the point where it was like it was like this this tree that she had to do to get this you know one edge that took up a lot of her her skills. But I mean, to be fair, a lot of our you know there's a lot of things where the rest of us are sort of one trick ish too. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's when Hair Trigger and, and Doctor Necropath are in the lab dissecting Big Pink while Tim and, and you know is watching the the Cavs game and. uh <laughs> I can't remember. Where, I think Ricochet was hanging out with Lester at that point, but uh, uh, yeah. But but in in between season one and season two, I think an easy fix for your your dilemma as far as fighting is that um, you know you and Doctor Necropath can can you know get in the octagon together. He can show yeah. you some moves. He can he can do some sparring with uh-huh. you, some full contact <laughs> maneuvers. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah well, and part, I was just gonna say, you know, the ex sniper could help you with your shit. <laughs> Well, I think it really needs to be kind of uh, traditional Greco-Roman wrestling where y'all are just all well, slickered up, yeah. you know, and uh, I'm down. Know, just wrestle it out. Fear the con slot six. Yeah. yeah. Pin me, Paul. And the rico- Pin me. And the ricochet will help you with your witty one-liners. There you go. Well, but, no, but seriously. I, I, okay. I thought I did okay with the witty one-liners. But, yeah, I think the shock sticks will become a permanent thing in, in season two. Um I just I, I want to be able to I want to be able to punch throw a punch. I don't want to shoot from across the room every time. Yeah. Well, you, you know well, what I think just upgrade. Also, you know what I think is also going to help you out there, Paul. 
experience points. Hmm. That's what's going Yeah, I was going to say, just up your die in fighting, or is fighting and melee separate in Savage Worlds? Uh, fighting's its own skill. Yeah, yeah, I mean when you when you do the you when you when you do your brawling, it's basically yeah. just one dice. Yeah. So shock sticks use the same fighting as throwing a punch. Yeah. Yeah. So just up your die in in fighting, and and you know I, I think you'll find that she's a lot more effective in a hand to hand fight or stock shock stick to hand fight. <laughs> well, like I said, I didn't end up hate. You know, in the end, I end up growing. Hair trigger grew on me. Um. You know, because I started out loving the idea. I was hoping you guys would pick her character. And then when you finally chose her, you know, and it worked out because, you know, pulled Joseph Reck in. And it, it, it did help bring us, you know, we, it, you know, Hair Trigger as a character gave us a layer. You know, it gave us Joseph Reck. It gave us a lot of things, you know, from her side story. But as a character herself, like, she just didn't really hold her own in a fight, and I wanted to contribute more that way. Um, but you know, ultimately, again, towards the end, she grew on me, and I figured I started figuring out what to do with her. And even then, I mean, we talked about how in in the very last fight she had with Ninja, you know, I mean, I was still, I was that was when I was using the shock sticks wrong, and I switched to the guns, um, and I realized it after the fact. But you know, I, I, she did grow on me, and I I, I do think she adds an important dynamic to the team, you know, cause even though I'm not, she's still a female. And th- I think that added some, some extra color to the, to the, to the show and to the podcast and to the, you know, to the team itself, because, you know, if it was just a sausage fest, yeah. I don't think we would have had some of the, the great character moments that we had. Well, yeah. Like, you know, female so much as newbie that, that, that newbie helped a lot. Yeah. yeah, sure did. But yeah. to be fair, like one of my favorite hair trigger moments is when, Joseph Rack basically told you to choose and you said something along the lines of well when you find my dead body under a pig big big pig monster I hope you feel like an asshole or something like that. <laughs> that is such an 18 year old thing to say girl. too yeah. fantastic yeah that was great <laughs> now you know in well, terms think- of, of expectations versus reality um, you know when we went through sandboxing uh, we thought we were going to have this uh, big angel on the team and, you know, I had expected, you know, this whole dynamic between, uh, you know, the, the, the angel versus the uh, Indian shaman, the white man's religion versus, you know, the, uh, the, the, the shamanistic tradition. Um, and so I was, I was really entertaining the, the conflict that was going to be there. Plus, you know, I had had, you know, uh, whole story triggers designed out for Jonathan's character. So it was – it was uh, – a big redesign to remove him, include the necropath. And I think it really changed the tone of what we would have had. I think we would have had a much more supernatural story, heavier supernatural elements in the story than we did with the presence of that character. Yeah, it was a very science-heavy story because it was – you had two – essentially two very science-based characters. you know, And then Tim was mystical, but my powers were not – magic in any way it's they're experimental oh yeah the i i think i think that the flavor of 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 season season one is much different than it would have been had we had uh the uh, the uh what is it what the hell is that character's name <laughs> um ramiel angel, ramiel. Ramiel. Thank you. Angel, ramiel. Angels. angel noodles 
<laughs> yeah, I, and you know, I, 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 and I hope that we have an opportunity to have Jonathan, you know, back in the game at some point. But uh, uh, you know, I, I think it would have been very different. I'm not saying it would have been bad, different. I'm just saying it would have been a very different flavor than what we had. I think it probably saw this kind of flavor. Yeah, well, and I think it would have been a darker story. You know, might not have been as uh, as uh, bright and and cheery as it tended to be. You know, I think because yeah, we did have a, a couple of not, uh, nonstop humorous episodes, right? Um, you know, without you know much in the way of. I mean, we did have some episodes that there were there were no fighting. There was mm-hmm. no fighting at all. I think we probably had about three of those that there was no fighting at all. Um, pretty humorous episodes, and you know. We, let me just say that those episodes are a lot easier to edit, by the way. <laughs> Look for more of those in season two. <laughs> you know, in season two, I really want to see more of, of Tim and his family dynamic because I, I think I'd mentioned it before, but but Tim and you have done such a great job of building this whole family with their own manservant that, uh, you know, the, the politics of the tribe and Joseph Bearclaw. And it's just been great. And I loved what you guys have done with it. So I have the question I have is for you, Aaron. I've uh, when running a game, I know that for me the coolest thing about it is seeing what your players do to surprise you. Mm-hmm. You know what comes out of left field that you just had no idea, couldn't imagine them doing. What were those moments for you in this first season? Where did we catch you off guard? Um, well, you, you know, you and the uh, and the suit at the tailor shop. Um, uh, you know. I, I think most of my surprise are the avenues that that you know aren't followed. You know, like uh, there was I'm trying to think off the top of my head the um, um, like necropath the final episode yeah the, the the final episode and and you know there's there's trap door there and you know I think it was I think it was a very true moment I don't fault you know uh, the player for the action but you know he. There is no attempt to subdue uh, Trapdoor, you know, who is the secret to, you know, uh, the four bad guys' ability to get everywhere that they've been and they've been able to escape from everything, you know. So I just that was one of those interesting moments. Um, there were some story hooks, like for instance, some of the things that you guys don't share amongst each other. Uh, like for instance, you know, Coyote has his his dream where the graphic novel is present in the dream. And that's not something that's ever shared with the other players. You know, those kinds of things. Those have have been surprising moments for me. And it's not that that it's a wrong decision. It's just, you know, I, I, have, I have been in those in those kind of games where, you know, players are immediately run to each other. Hey, they've just found out this. And I think you guys were true to your characters and not, you know, uh, chasing, not immediately sharing, you know. Yeah, we're, we're definitely at the stage, and our characters are at the stage in leadership where they're not going to go tell. Well, unless you're Harry Trigger and you do it accidentally, but they're not going to go and tell <laughs> their deepest target secrets to each other right away. There's, there's definitely from, from especially the Coyote and myself. There's a lot of, uh, you know, stuff we kind of hold back. Right. Well, and the, you at know, this point, surprising moments also would include, you know, Necropaths, uh, you know, final solution to the landmine problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I think everybody on the mic when when, when he called that out, we we're all just like, "Holy shit, that's awesome!" You know, that's <laughs> I mean that that has to work, right? <laughs> I think I squeed. 
Yeah, no, that was uh, awesome. You know, uh, talking about expectations versus reality, one a couple of minor things I want to I want to touch on is the fact that we have a Skype game. There's a lot of what could be termed cat herding, where we're all in four different corners, uh-huh. and so the, you know, I, I thought Aaron did a good job. In, you know, five minutes for this guy, five minutes for that guy, but I can't imagine that that. I guess it sounded better than it felt at the time, but mm-hmm. you know, there's points where it's like, okay, I got to, you know, this is a perfect time for me to get some water. You know, I was gonna say I gotta give a shout out to the Skype chat room because <laughs> one of the differences between this actual play and a lot of the other ones I've listened to is that when we have these side conversations that every role playing group does when your character's not involved. Instead of hearing about them in, as background noise on the microphones, we, we're down the Skype chat room, you know, shooting one-liners back and forth about things that are going at the game. And I think it both gives us an outlet for stuff to do while the spotlight's on us, right. and it keeps a lot of that annoying background side talk off. You know, yeah. I've mentioned that over on uh, Fear the Boot talking about this game. That, I think, adds a lot to the Skype game. Normally, games do get kind of sidetracked, and we stay razor focused on the game once we start because we know we have a limited amount of time but we've got that outlet we're all typing to each other we have the conversations going that aaron can't read at all because we completely screw with him if we if he does i can't even look at the screen when we're playing because you guys are, are sitting there chattering amongst each other, and I'll be sitting there going, well, Paul, you're in a hallway going east and west. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Um, <laughs> you know, I can't do it. I can't look at it. And so, I mean, it'll be after the game's over when I'm going back and looking through the, the chat comments. <laughs> we had an error early on in the game where, where Tim, I think, was – was chatting me at a private chat room, and I actually put my answer in the middle of the the actual chat room notes. You know, brilliant guy that I am. <laughs> well, and we also had in the uh, the first game something that doesn't work for a actual play, but I think would work really well in a Skype game that wasn't being recorded. And Tim was sending text messages in character to Andrew's character in the chat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that worked in the game, and that would work great for Skype games because you can have those private information sharing oh, like sure. that. Yeah, but on an actual play where it's you know you're recording it, nobody's getting that from the listener standpoint. Yeah, well, the benefit I, of the Skype game is it, it does cut out the jackassery. Yes, so that is good. Well, but and a lot it, of the laughs at the table are laughs because you're making fun of somebody else. Exactly. It's good to have the it's good to have the uh, messages to. Uh, it's a message with. And in that last episode, I, I'd gotten this idea of making this kind of play for Hair Trigger to establish this kind of love triangle with, with the coyote and Hair Trigger Double myself. And yeah. Exactly. And I didn't want to step on the coyote's toes. I said toes, plural. And uh, so I, you know, I wanted to do it, but I wasn't quite sure. So I just IM'd him through the Skype software privately and said, hey, you know, would it, is it going to upset where you want to go with this if I, you know, throw my hat in here? He's like, no, 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 go for it. And, you know, it's nice. How does it feel to have your other podcasters fighting over you, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty awesome. Yeah, I know it did. Well, you know, I've I, I listened to some actual plays, and you know, I think a, a big challenge on actual plays is usually there's a microphone in the middle of the table. And I think what really works in, in this format is that we've all got our own mic, and you have the ability to edit for clarity – um, I think it really works in favor of the format. I mean, I think anybody who did an actual play this way, you would have a real benefit of, b- of being able to have a, a clear uh, audio channel for each character. You know what I'm saying? 
I say, I've said this elsewhere. I think Skype games are the perfect games for actual plays. Yeah, I agree. Because, you know, when you're, everyone's sitting around the table and they're trying to record something, you're missing out on the visual cues that are happening at the table. We don't have any of that. Right. So everything that's on the mics is that's the entire game. That's yep. what we have. So I think it comes through as a better recording doing it that way. No, I, I absolutely there are some negatives to it though because um, you know part of it is is the is the time constraint too. It's like we have to we have to hit the ground on all cylinders. That's right. why there is 15 minutes of bullshitting at the beginning. So right. to get it out. Oh yeah, given the choice, I would much rather be playing this game around the table with all of you guys because I think there is some things that we lose out doing it through Skype. I do think it's a better actual play because it was done through Skype, though. Right, it wouldn't have been as good a recording. What were you going to say, Aaron? When you listen, for instance, our Fear the Con recordings, you know, those are some fantastic games that you know that that we uh, posted out on the website. You know, uh, your right. Savage Saturday Morning, the you know the the you know hair metal band fiasco, the zombie game. And, and uh, Monster Island, but you know you've got all this background noise. You've got all the all the uh, people talking at the same time and whatnot. And even if it was just the the you know the group of us sitting around a table, you'd still have us all talking over each other, and that makes it more difficult to edit the, the sounds out. So the clarity of the voices, I think, really wins out in the Skype game. And I think oh, yeah. to, to, to to Wayne's point, you know, we're all dealing from the from the from the same limitation you know it's it's all radio you know so we're having to speak more clearly we're not able to hand gesture you know uh what we're trying to communicate so i I think i think the format works really well i've been very pleased with the way skype has supported our game yeah and the best thing possible for a uh, for a role-playing game the mute button absolutely yeah absolutely so i i I, we're running a little long in the tooth here on the show so i just want to hit a couple of things real quick Hi, this is Scott Bonner. It may not be uh, possible to answer this question since kind of role-play games are such a different medium from comics, but what comic titles would most closely resemble Knights of Rainsboro in tone, feel, mood, and that kind of thing? Also, which comic book characters remind each of you of your Rainsboro characters? Um, well, besides Spider Ricochet, man. Um, who would you want doing the art for the Knights? Besides Jake Ekus, and who would you want doing the writing besides Aaron? Thanks much. Big fan. Bye-bye. I've got an answer for this if no one else has one off the top of their head. Hit it, Andrew. I've got one, too, but go ahead, Andrew. All right, so I've got a writer, and i got my artist, and I've got my inker. For my writer, I've got Dan Slott because there are so many laugh-out-loud moments in Spider-Man, and, and I, I think we have a very laugh-out-loud group, and I think he would he would be able to write that well. For my inker, I got Wade Von Grabodger, because oh, yeah. that guy is... That guy's balls. I mean, he's awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then finally, so artist. So I, And I had three answers here. Kick a donkey, podunk? <laughs> no, no, Jake Ekus is my first answer, but I think Scott Bonner explicitly said we couldn't pick Jake Ekus as That's our right. artist. Yeah. So then I had he apparently had, has my something sick. against Jake Ekus. I think we need to explore that. Yeah, what's that? Yeah. Jake is awesome, by the yeah. way. In case you guys didn't already well, you guys know, listeners you didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Um and then my second choice, if I had unlimited budget and scheduling wasn't an issue and this is some fantasy land in the future, I'll take Stuart Amonin. Oh yeah. Because come on. Yeah, Stuart Amonin. Yeah. yeah, I think Stuart Amonin would work bell would work perfect for the team book too. Like if there was a team book Stuart Amonin could draw the shit out of Knights of Rainsboro on a team book. 
Right. And then, but I had my practical answer, which is I can't have Jake Geekus. You know, you got to find someone who has the time that we could afford, and that would be Ash Jackson. I love that name. <laughs> it's a good name. Yeah, it is a good name. It, with uh, with porn stash pistachio doing the editing, of course. No, no, this is a real person. <laughs> yeah, I know Ash Jackson. And Ash so is porn stash pistachio. Done. Go ahead, Paul. You know, I, I've, actually, I've actually had Ash Jackson has done art for my children's book. I know Ash Jackson. Yeah, it, it, for for people who might not be familiar with his work, he does. Uh, I'm mainly familiar with him with the Eve Vampire Diva uh, series from from Arcana. And if you read through that, I, I think it would fit the kind of the, the style and story we're telling very well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in, ter- in terms of writers, I, I, I certainly agree with you on Dan Slott. And, and along that vein, uh, Peter David, I think, could uh, write a very good uh, Knights of Rainsboro story. And it would drive Jonathan Landreth crazy. Which so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. is perfect. I've known he, from he the, from the first issue. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I've known from the beginning who I would want to do my writing, and it's Robert Kirkman from the time period when he was doing Ant-Man. Mm. Because I think Ricochet, I don't know if you guys have read Ant-Man, but he actually made Ant-Man an incredibly interesting character, and it was the, that was the irredeemable Ant-Man series where Ant-Man is just a complete and total jerk. Right. I think he could do an incredible job with Ricochet's character. And for the art on that, either uh, either Bagley or Ryan Otley. Either one, I think, is the art style that, that worked oh. for the character as I've envisioned him. Can you imagine Ryan Otley drawing that scene with Necropath and Landmine? Yes. <laughs> oh, that would. Oh, yeah. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that. Well, you know, uh, Jake Ekus has drawn a, uh, a comic book cover for me for uh, Knights of Rainsboro. And it's the, uh, you know, under 17 billion tons of, of, of rock stands Ricochet, and he's not happy. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait to see that. <laughs> How about you, Tim? Um, uh, you know, I, I, I've i got two. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, you're going to have to bear with me. Uh, I thought, I thought, I think uh, Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost mm-hmm. with uh, David Finch art. Would be would be pretty fantastic. It would, it would that's the creative team that did most of Second Coming, right? I, I would enjoy that, but and I but I would also enjoy if we had uh, Chris Yost and Marcus Toe, who were the Red Robin creative team. Oh yeah, yeah. So either either one of those I would sign off. On. I would love to see Marcus Toe draw hair trigger. <laughs> yes. That guy just has a way with female characters. I mean, that goes back to his time with Top Cow. Yeah, because he was with Top Cow a long time before he went to DC, and he just knows how to draw a female character. Mm-hmm. So we got some we got some questions here, don't we, guys? We oh, hold f- on, I haven't gone yet. Oh, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Paul. sorry. Whatever. <laughs> um, you know, uh, for Hair Trigger, I, I, you know, obviously inspired by Velocity, I'd love to say like Ron Mars. Um. Now, who's the artist on Shinku? Does anybody remember Shinku. the name of the guy? Shinku. Um, um, it's that no. Shinku guy. I should, because I really like... I should, too, considering how much we talk about it. But I have praised him on, on our other show, and but I can't remember off the top of my head. But I think he'd be a great artist. You know, but yeah, I, I also think... So, you know, Lee I, Motor? I, yeah, yeah, Lee Motor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Lee Motor, yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, lead motor. Yeah, lead motor. I think would do great um, with Ron Mars. I also think you know I love like um, writing it. Also, I think the guy who wrote Batgirl, Brian Q. Miller. You know, the book sometimes we were mixed on, but I read the entire run, and you know he he seems to do a young you know college age girl's voice right, and I think that would work well for Hair Trigger as well. Um, you know, I'd love to see art by Francis Manipole. You know, you know, you know, his stuff on the Flash just seems perfect for the stuff I'm looking for with Hair Trigger. You know, I, I like the idea of like big science and big adventure for Hair Trigger. Um, so, you know, I I, I I I would love to see either of those creative teams or any mixture thereof. I would love to see Warren Ellis do a Hair Trigger or hell, a Knights of Rainsboro book. You know, with Stuart Amonin. You know, I don't know who the artist on Shinku is, but I do know if you search for Shinku on Google, both uh, Paul and Andrew are on the first page worth of results. Get out of here. I'm not kidding. I'm playing my Google up on my phone as we speak. <laughs> so um, one of the questions that we had is, did I at one point hear that a comic of some kind is in the works? Or was that a mistake on my part? That was a mistake on your part. <laughs> I think we'd love to. Um, I think that, you know, I think the limitations are time and money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we'd all love to to do a comic. You know, we, we, we did talk about, like Aaron mentioned at the beginning of the show, even though I'm, I'm pretty sure we never mentioned it on the mics, is some type of companion guide. Um, yeah, yeah a, setting book. a setting book. I mean, I. The sandboxing that we did, I mean, just really did create such a story-rich environment. I mean, there's so much that we haven't used yet from the sand, from the sandbox sessions, just because you know, the there's just only so much uh, room to put stuff in. But uh, you know, there's just a lot of uh, we've we've developed a, a very detailed setting that uh, I think a setting book would be a lot of fun to do. So a comic book may not be in the works, but. You haven't heard the last of fiction from us with, about these characters either. We all enjoyed those zero issues so much and having those fictional tales of the character that there's going to be more of that. That's right. a given. We are going to be doing more you know, one-off fiction with these characters that is just outside of the game. So final thoughts, guys? Billy Joel's gay. <laughs> that is not That has not been established in game. <laughs> <laughs> it's out of continuity, Tim. It's an Elseworlds book. That might be a. That might be stretching. I, I've loved it. I've, I think uh, it's been it's been a great time. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed hanging out with you guys and, and playing. I think we've created a, a pretty engaging, uh, interesting world and characters in it. Well, I got to say, it's the it's the uh, first story arc I've completed in a long time. You know, or maybe I should say it's the second story arc I've completed in a long time because I completed the, a uh, first story arc on my local game just last spring, but that was the first one I'd done in forever. So I, I, it, it was nice to to have a beginning, middle, and end, you know, as opposed to just a beginning and a middle. You know, I um I have to say, you know, some things that I'm looking forward to, and and this maybe can be how we wrap up today's show is things I'm looking forward to in season two or season three, I guess, but the second arc, you know, I'm looking forward into exploring, you know, we did a lot of sandboxing around Rainsboro as a city and we touched on some of the, some of the districts, but I, you know, I'd love to see more of Rainsboro as a city, perhaps the city under a city um, that we established with its, you know, underground inhabitants. 
you know, I'd love to see, you know, uh, I'd love to see some more of the not- NPCs that we established in our zero issues and our characters' backgrounds. I think there's there's a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of stuff coming up in season two that I think is going to be just really exciting and fantastic. And I think we've created this story rich environment that could, exp- you know, one of the things we've been talking about lately. Um, and this episode, I'm sure, will drop before Fear of the Con 5. You know, we've been talking about ways to branch out this story beyond the Knights of Rainsboro and look at some other aspects of Rainsboro. And I think it, 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 I didn't realize it when we were doing it, but I think we, re- we created an environment that really lends itself to, you know, we, we, we created like a Marvel Universe type thing where, you know, the story possibilities are just wide and open. And, you know, we can only do but so much in this podcast, you know, right. with these four characters. Um, you know, so I, I, I love the idea that we're, we're you know, that we, there are there's more that we could do with this, you know, side stories, spinoffs, things like that. Um, so I, I, I'm excited about that. Me too. Me too. Well, anything else, guys? I'm really looking forward to my audit, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the audit, the audit while the houseboat burns, while the decropath seduces Hair Trigger, and then they do the casting for Pocket Square. I like it. Just to see if he can make my aneurysm actually happen. On oh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Ricochet in his civilian identity is the character is the actor that gets cast to play Pocket Square. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be that'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, the, non, the, non, the, the non-Native American. Yeah, there you great. go. Great. There you go. All right, guys. Well, I guess we'll see you back for our second story arc, which uh, will be preceded by, uh, as Wayne was mentioning, some additional fiction from us. Thanks for listening, and we, we, we love hearing your feedback. Knights of Rainsboro is a production of IdeologyofMadness.com. Intro music generously provided by Derek K. Miller. For more information about Derek and his music, visit PenMachine.com. Outro music is provided courtesy of Dan Kelso. You can find these and other great pod-safe tunes at musicalley.com. All goat sex involved in the production of this podcast was purely consensual. 